UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And as always, a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Now, how do you restore a marriage? There are some regular suggestions, of course, as to how we might approach that, talking things through, maybe some counselling, maybe even taking some time apart. What you don't often see is the suggestion of a 320-mile backpacking pilgrimage across France as a route back to happiness. I mean, life's hard enough when your marriage is in tatters without adding blisters into the mix, isn't it? But if you believe in marriage, believe in trying to fix something, not abandon it simply because it's broken, and believe in God's calling on your lives as a couple maybe finding the route of pilgrimage isn't so strange. My guests today are two vicars who did exactly that. Their marriage, it says on the back of the book that they have written, was in tatters, with wounds reaching far back into the past. And so they set out on a journey to find healing and restoration. What they discovered has a message not just for marriages in trouble, but for all sorts of relationships that want to build a strong foundation. They are Kim and Penelope Swithenbank, and they've chronicled their journey in Walking Back to Happiness, which immediately has Helen Shapiro playing in my head. Walking back to happiness, oh yeah, said goodbye to loneliness, oh I never knew I'd miss you, now I know I'd I suspect, however, that many of those days weren't as perky as the song might suggest. Kim and Penelope, welcome to Life Issues. Thank you, it's good to be here. Thank you. When I use the word pilgrimage there, is that a fair description of what you guys went on? I think it is in some respects because we have led several pilgrimages together in the sense of taking other people on a long walk in order to find time with God. And for us, it was a pilgrimage in the sense of, yes, we were wanting to spend time with each other, but also time with God. And uh, another way of looking at a pilgrimage is having time out from the stresses of everyday life. And that was certainly something that we were needing, time away from the stresses of everyday life. So the idea of a long walk then, Kim, wasn't unfamiliar. It sat within your your wheelhouse, sat on your horizon. Yes, we've done a number of walks and walking together has always been, uh, well, certainly in the last 20 years, probably, something we've done quite a lot of in Italy and France and uh, in this country, particularly in Cornwall. Um, but ever since Penelope read a book about this walk across France about 30 years ago, I knew that she wanted to do the walk from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic. And so when we wanted to rebuild, that seemed a good thing for me to organize as a kind of, um, I don't know, um, gesture, but much more than a gesture on my behalf that um, you know I wanted to do something positive and real to help. Because there was a, a real sense of, an element of commitment in just deciding to do this, wasn't it? Because if, you, if you're going to walk 320 miles, how long did it take you to walk that distance? It was, um, I think, 23 days actual walking, and we had three rest days. It might have been 24. Um, but I planned the whole route before we left, 
And I actually booked all of the accommodation on Airbnb and Booking.com before we left as well. I uh, only had to change one night when we discovered that uh, Airbnb had put uh, our place in the uh, in the wrong city, and it was actually five miles away from where we wanted to be, which is fine if you're in a car, but not so good when you're walking. <laughs> Especially if you've been walking all day. But that, let, let me just pick up on that that thought, though, then, because you've got 20-odd days, all these different places where you're going to stay, all the hours you're going to spend walking together. I mean, there had to be in that an attempt that, that, that we are going to fix what is going on here, that we are going to actually improve what is going on here. That that had to be on the horizon. I mean, was that the destination that was clear right at the beginning, that we will get to the end of this and it will be better, Penelope? I think because we had done quite a number of long walks together in uh, previous years and we knew how much we enjoyed doing that together, so there was that element. We love walking together. It's always a good thing. We've done it before and it's been good. There was also the sense that we've been planning it for several years and various things had happened, which meant that it didn't take place. For instance, Kim tore his Achilles tendon um, the year we were meant to be doing it. So there was a sense of anticipation and expectation. We'd been planning to do this for a couple of years. And then at last it happened. And so, yes, there was a sense. We've done this before. We're expecting to do it. And uh, we're really looking forward to it, not quite knowing what was going to happen. Maybe if we'd known what it would be like, would we have done it? I think we would, actually. I would have done anyway. <laughs> it was worth it in spite of the blisters. Can we talk about the route for a second then? Because, as you say, Atlantic to Mediterranean, or was it the other way around? Mediterranean to Atlantic. Okay. So you started in? We started in Portegagne Plage, which is near Béziers. So we flew into Béziers, which is about the smallest airport you've ever flown into in your life. <laughs> it only has one half-size carousel for luggage. But fortunately, our backpacks came through, all uh, wrapped in plastic. And then we took a taxi down to Portegagne Plage, and then we walked across through the foothills of the Pyrenees and uh, through the Gere country um, to uh, Cap Breton, which is uh, north of, uh, ooh, well, south of Bordeaux and north of Biarritz. So if people are trying to place you on a map, we're talking about that sort of bottom um, south. Bottom left-hand corner. Yeah, southwest corner of France, just yeah. north of the, the Spanish border. It's not, I mean, it's not the... It's not the flattest bit of France, that is it? No, and uh, the shortest route probably would have been steeper, but we followed broadly followed the route that um, the book Penelope had read, um, which was actually also a couple trying to restore their marriage, and it was the story of uh, uh, an Englishman and a French lady who were married, and they walked across France in order to uh, be together and spend time together and get away from the busyness of life. They do say that every journey starts with the first step. And I love the fact that in your book, and we should mention, it's published by Sarah Grace Publishing, and it's called Walking Back to Happiness by Penelope Swithin Bank. And Kim's putting his two penneth in there as well. But we, we should, there's a chapter in the book where you talk about finding Yorkshire in France. Is that actually something that's possible to do, Penelope? It was hilarious because we were not expecting to see any English people, really. Uh, it's not a particularly tourist area. 
especially after the first week, once we were past Carcassonne, we were not in particularly touristy areas. So we were not expecting to see English people on our route. And then to discover that there were a number of English people living there. And I think, well, certainly over 90% of them, if not all of them, happened to have come from Yorkshire. And that was extraordinary. And then, you know, there was one night where we turned up for our B&B. And of course, it had all been booked online, so we'd no idea who the people were. And they were a lovely young couple who had uh, originated from Shipley in Yorkshire, which is where we spent the first year of married life. So that was an extraordinary thing. We were expecting French people. They opened the door and we said bonjour and our best French. And, you know, they replied in Yorkshire. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, another morning we called into the local cafe in the little village where we had been staying in order to get some coffee for breakfast. And we ordered in our best French. And then as the young man turned to make our coffee, I noticed the box of Yorkshire tea bags on the shelf. So I said to Kim, oh, gosh, they've got Yorkshire tea here. And the young man turned around, and sure enough, he was from Yorkshire originally. Now you see, a nice cup of tea first thing in the morning when you're heading out. That's exactly what you need. Now, they do (laughs) say that every journey starts with a first step. I mean, so we we mentioned, and you, you say it clearly, you talk about it clearly in the book, the pair of you in church service, you're both ordained, you're both, it would be fair to describe you as vicars in the Church of England, you have different roles yes. and so on, but what what had happened to your marriage to bring you to this point where, I mean, those are strong words that you use, Penelope, on the on the back of the book, where you talk about them as being your marriage in tatters. I think it was the stress and the strain of the life we were living and everybody has stresses no matter what job you're in there are incredible stresses I think in clergy life in particular there is no definition line between work and home because you're living in a church house often the church meetings happen in your home um, and you're living in a fishbowl everybody can see what's going on so there's a lot of stress uh, and strain in a marriage and I think for vicars perhaps as people in other life lives as well but for us particularly it's very easy to be working every hour of every day and not to take the time out and the time off that you need and then there had been illness Kim had had several different illnesses which had been of greater or lesser degree and I'm no nurse and I have very little patience and I'm awful when he's ill so that doesn't help and uh, immediately uh, prior to some of this happening we had been running a retreat house called the the vine at May's farm and it was the most wonderful old building it was a 16th century farmhouse that we had bought and renovated but there were a lot of issues to do with old buildings and people who've had historic grade two listed buildings know that it's a nightmare. And the conservation officer in the area where we were living was not kindly disposed to Christians, shall we say. She didn't think we should be having Christian things going on in this house. And quite frankly, she made our lives hell. And Kim was the one who had to deal with most of that. And it was awful. We were even taken to court over it. Um, And we tried very hard, from our point of view, we thought we tried very hard to fulfil the obligations. But the stress that was poured on us by what we had to do and the money that it cost, 
was really the final straw that broke the camel's back. Before that, when we were we came back from America and were in London for five years, um, that was my last major post um, in church leadership. Uh, and it was a very, very difficult time for all sorts of complicated reasons, which it's not appropriate to go into. But uh, that led me, if not to, to the edge of breakdown. And uh, that was that was very tough on both of us because I'd always been the strong coper and I wasn't coping. Um, and uh, and we as a as a couple, we tend I mean, some couples argue fiercely and get it all out in the open, lay it all on the carpet and uh, throw things or whatever. We're not like that. We just go very quiet and turn our backs on each other. We do what we call the dosi do in the uh, Scottish country dancing, yes, where yeah. we just turn our backs on each other and hope it'll just go away. And it didn't. Um, and I think one of the, the important things, Kim, in the both of you being willing to be honest about the fact that you got to the point, and we'll talk about what the journey brought in a moment, but you got to the point where you wanted to start a journey of restoration. The important thing of recognising where you got to is that that can happen to anybody. I mean, the two of you, good Christian leaders, serving God faithfully, following the calling that was on your life, and yet none of us are exempt from these sorts of pressures. We have to guard against them, don't we, Kim? Oh, absolutely. I don't think anyone's exempt from these pressures. And I think there are peculiarities to the pressures on Christian leaders. Um, and yeah, uh, they come from working hours. They come from uh, working conditions and where you live. They come from uh, some feelings of, uh, you know, being paid very little compared with um, most of the people you're ministering to. Um, and uh, looking for handouts for charity, which is not easy. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, but, but there are pressures on family life on, I've just had a very good friend who's died early of cancer um, just, just uh, two days ago. Um, you know, his family are now going through something very hard. We all, what we go through is, you know, there are a whole host of things that every family and every marriage goes through. That was just our story and the peculiarities of, Christian ministry, but it's not peculiar to Christian leaders. No, it's not. And But therein is, lies the point, doesn't it, Penelope? Because very often in church life, in, in Christian community life, people imagine that their church leaders don't face those sorts of pressures. And now, the moment you take a step back and, and look at it with a logical, considered reflection, you say, of course they do. And everybody goes, of course that's true. And yet there's almost like a an emotional blindness to it in many church communities because we expect more of our leaders. I think sometimes there is a danger that people can put Christian leaders on a pedestal and expect them to be the perfect couple or the perfect family and living the perfect life. The corollary of that, of course, is that sometimes they think, well, we pay, we pay the church the money that pays you and therefore you should do exactly what we tell you to do. So there's two sides of the coin there. But yes, sometimes they can put Christian leaders on a pedestal. And in a way, that's a privilege. Uh, we're leading people. We're trying to help people. 
We're trying to help people draw closer to God and to show God's love to uh, the people we're ministering to. But, you know, it works the other way around as well. We don't understand, perhaps as Christian leaders, what our members of our congregation are going through and what their everyday lives look like. So I remember on one occasion when I was on, uh, I was a member of the clergy of the staff of a big church in D.C., near Washington, D.C., And one of the members of my congregation was one of the research scientists researching into SARS virus. And I had no idea what her everyday life looked like. So she actually took me to work with her for a day. And I went and experienced what it was like to be a research scientist for the day and the pressure she was under and the people she was working with and where they were coming from uh, in their everyday philosophy uh, of life. So sometimes there is that lack of understanding in both directions. Maybe church leaders don't fully understand what their church family go through every day. Maybe, maybe we the should church all... family don't fully understand what it's like to be in a clergy household. Mm. And somehow we need to break those barriers down and say, you know what? We're all Christians. We're all human. We all want to be the best for God. But there are things that make that difficult. And how can we help each other? I know what we should do. We should all go for a walk together and talk Absolutely. things through. Now, you, you set off on this this journey, as we said, and going from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic across that sort of bottom corner of France and, and a lot of preparation involved and a lot of organising. But you were doing it specifically to with, with – well, am, am I right? Were you doing it with a specific focus of recognising the problems that you had in your marriage and wanting to put that right? If so, did you have to work out the ground rules before you went? Yeah, I don't think we did. Um, it's not really how our marriage has ever operated. I'm, uh, for those who know Myers-Briggs in ENFP, which means I don't organise anything really. I have to have people around me who organise things, except when it comes to a project like this where I organise the whole thing. Um, but I don't... I don't think through how that's going to work. I know that when we walk, we talk, and then we are quiet for a while. If you're walking for six, eight hours a day together, you don't talk all the time. And so you flit in and out of conversations. And if it gets a bit too uncomfortable, you can stop for a bit, and then you can start again later. And so I don't think there was there was clear intent that this was rebuilding into our marriage, but there was no game plan. Let's have half an hour each day to talk about this, or let's raise this topic today or that topic. Tomorrow. Some people could do that. Um, and there would be nothing wrong with doing that. It's just not the way we operate. Uh, we just did it a day at a time and took it a day at a time. And uh, some days we had deep and meaningful conversations and other days we just enjoyed the countryside and walked and potted and enjoyed each other. Um, was that an important element of it then, Penelope, to, to actually, I mean, some would say, let it be organic, let it grow. Others might say to let the spirit guide you in what you actually needed to address. But to actually give space for it rather than for it all needed to be addressed in the first hundred miles. Otherwise, we can't cope, which would be a temptation, I imagine. I think it would be for some people. As as Kim says, that's not how we happen to work. But I can imagine that for some people, it would be good to know we are going to talk about this issue and that issue and the other issue at some point during whatever it is you're doing. It's just not the way we work. 
What we did do was to start each day by praying together. So once we had actually left whichever B&B we were staying in that night, uh, taken the first few steps away from the house, then we would stop. There we are standing in the middle of the path with our backpacks on and we would stop and hold hands and pray. And I think that then set the scene and set the atmosphere, as it were, Mm. for the day. We'd started by praying and committing the walk and how we would be for that day to the Lord and ask him to help us as we walked and for help physically as well as spiritually and emotionally. So it was a total commitment to the Lord at the beginning of each day. And that, I think, for us was was how we set the scene and how we then went through the rest of the day. And including that spiritual element in the the work of rebuilding, Kim, because a lot of people will talk in terms of emotional element, they'll talk in terms of physicality, they'll talk in terms of, of feelings and, and, and of history and of, of carrying hurts and so on. But to recognise God's place in rebuilding seems to be a lesson that you both took strongly out of that time. I think that's fair. Um, Again, we actually hadn't planned that. Um, We got to (coughs) the steps above the uh, beach uh, on the Mediterranean on day one. Um, And it just suddenly occurred to me that we ought to start like that. So I took one of his hands and said, I'd like to pray. Um, And so we did. And then that just became our pattern. But again, being us, that wasn't planned or rehearsed or uh, it just seemed a natural and right thing to do Mm. and I think it did just as Penelope says it set a a tone for the day and enable us to sort of flit in and out of different kinds of conversations um, without feeling any pressure I don't think we either of us felt any pressure that today we have to talk about this or it's never going to happen because you've got nearly a month so you've got plenty of time (laughs) you're not getting away from this anytime soon because we've got to walk this whole journey at the same time i mean one of the things that that often is addressed and recognized within the context of restoring a marriage or restoring any relationship is the importance of forgiveness a lot one of the things that's often recognized within the context of pilgrimage is the importance of fasting and i'm i'm fascinated by how you stitched those two things together penelope so that your fasting was specifically tied to the the difficult topics that you were having to address yes the i'm not quite sure where that little phrase came from uh, originally I had been away on retreat. I went to a little convent in the Y Valley for a few days and it was Lent. So people were talking or we were thinking about fasting and time of penitence and so on. So I suppose the word fast was perhaps in my mind. There was one particular day in the chapel service where um, the reading from the Old Testament talked about recriminations. And this little phrase came into my mind that uh, I was to fast from recrimination and I then was to feast on forgiveness. And it became a little phrase that really meant a lot to me over the next few weeks. That was February and we were going on the walk in June. 
And so over those few months, that was very much what I felt the Lord had put in my mind for me to do, to, to fast from the recriminations and to feast on forgiveness. Because I think for me, and perhaps other people would recognize this too, it's much easier to concentrate on the negatives. Mm. You always do this. You never do that. Uh, oh, he always, you know, and you you get into that mental phrase of mind and it's all the negatives that come up. And then that, that's a downward spiral. That's all It becomes quite combative, doesn't it? Called combative. Um, yeah. the, the, the argument is always just simmering under the surface. Yes. And so therefore to turn it round the other way and to not concentrate on those negatives and being combative and so on about it, but instead to feast on the forgiveness. And for me, that had two or three specific elements. One was to think about the good things and to concentrate on the good things and to be grateful for them. I think many of us know these days that actually the gratitude changes the neural pathways in your brain and being grateful for something makes a huge difference. And so to list three or four things, either in my mind or actually to write them down sometimes in my journal, three or four things that I was grateful for about my husband instead of all the negative things that really annoyed me, uh, what am I grateful for? And it could be small things. And he often brings me a cup of coffee in bed in the morning. And I'm grateful for that. Um, I don't tell him often enough. I should do. But it's just a little thing to be grateful for. Um, just little things. It doesn't have to be huge things. Three or four things for which I'm grateful. So that makes a big a big difference, I think. Uh, that for me was important. And the other thing uh, that was also specifically important was to ask God to love through me. I'm not very good at forgiving. Uh, I'm not very good at forgetting. I'm not very good at forgiving. And it takes a huge effort. But actually to open myself up and ask God to forgive through me and to ask God to love through me. I think it was Amy Carmichael, the missionary in the um, in India in the last century, wrote a poem about love through me, love of God. And every verse starts with that line. And that, to me, is something I have to pray regularly. Love through me, love of God. I can't do it, but you can do it through me. I noticed, Kim, that while many of us would think that walking through the south of France would be a day of, of balmy, sunlit days and insects quietly along the the hedgerows and and just the you know beautiful food and beautiful views and so on there were more than a few days where the weather and the terrain made it all a bit of a slog i wonder if you also found at times the idea of of working through what you were working through was that a bit of a slog at times as well no, I don't think that side was a bit of a slog. I think the the walk was at times much more than we thought it was going to be. Uh, we assumed we were going to the good weather. It was the summer uh, in this country when everything turned brown and uh, uh, all the ground turned to concrete. Yes. Um, but not in the south of France. Two weeks before we were there, there had been massive floods and we still had the aftermath of ongoing rain and uh, quite a lot of, um, I didn't know the French word for mud before we went, but I learnt it. It's boue. <laughs> B-O-U-E. And uh, there was beaucoup de boue uh, in, um, in France as we travelled. And I think actually, in some ways, the fact that it was more difficult at times than we thought was actually a positive rather than a negative. 
because when you go through difficult things together and you're on the same side, then that's strengthening. I think we've something we've often, uh, Plump has often said to me is at our best, it's always been us against the world together. Not, you know, that we're anti everybody, but I mean, we're a team together facing whatever challenge in ministry, in life, in family, whatever it might be. And that had, that is one of the things that had broken, really. It was no longer us together against the world. We were each fighting our own separate battles against the world, you know, quietly against each other as well. And doing this together and it being difficult actually renewed that sense of it is us together against the mud, mm. us together against the rain, us together against the wind. And then, of course, there were beautiful days when the sun shone, but less than half. Penelope, what I wonder what surprised you in all of this? Um, several things come to mind, just being slightly facetious. The fact that we never arrived in any place on market day. So I had had visions <laughs> of buying lovely fresh tomatoes or smelly cheeses from the markets as we passed through. We never once arrived anywhere on the local market day. Who so organised really this itinerary? <laughs> um, but more seriously, I think I was surprised by how much care my husband took over me and over my feet in particular. So he had blisters early on. I had blisters um, much later because my boots wore out. Uh, my wonderful walking boots actually wore out and were taking in water from underneath. And then the soles started coming away from the, um, the lower bit. And he ordered new boots to be delivered to one of our B&Bs. And they were exactly the same, same size, same make, everything. But they were new boots yes. and they hadn't been worn in. And so I got terrible blisters. And I was surprised by how much care and um, how solicitous he was about my blisters and about looking after me. And that really surprised me. Um, so so was it that... I mean, because Kim said there that the one of the sort of the place that you'd fallen into where was that rather than working together, you were... You were kind of working individually. You just had to sort yeah. of, I, I, I don't, a cliche would be drifted apart. Was it that the, the taking of time and spending time together in circumstances that were a challenge that actually just let you discover what was already there, but you just lost sight of it? Or did it spark it new? Maybe it was a little bit of both. Um, maybe I hadn't noticed what he had been doing in the past to help and be solicitous. Maybe I hadn't noticed. Um, and therefore, this was brought uh, more into the forefront and I noticed it more. I suspect if you spent a long time together, as we did, doing something like this, it would either drive you further apart because you'd be shouting at each other how dreadful it was and why ever did you make me do it? Uh, or it would, as it did for us, bring you much closer together. And as, as we say, we'd already walked, we'd had walking holidays before, so we knew it was something we were good at doing together. 
And I don't think it would be something you'd recommend if people had never done it before and they were suddenly going to do it to bring their marriage back together. I think it might actually make it far worse because you have such uh, hurdles to overcome along the way. And for me, it brought back into the forefront some of the good things about us as a couple that perhaps I had forgotten or pushed down or ignored. There are times for all of us when we struggle with relationships. And it's said that one of the important things, if you're going to build strong relationships, whether they be marriage relationships or or whatever sort of type of, of community we are trying to create, one of the things that is important is to understand about yourself. I wonder what you've learned about yourself on this journey that you have now, because obviously you can't spend the entire rest of your life trekking back and forward across France. So what have you what carried? You could. <laughs> but what have you learned about yourselves and are now able to carry with you into your day-to-day life that actually means the essence of that journey is still being unpacked in the onward journey that you're taking with God? I think there are two things. One is actually how quickly one forgets. And I think that may be true for most people. You do learn something, you do discover something or rediscover it. And actually, it's amazing how quickly you forget. It stays with you for a little while. But then with everyday life coming back and all the stresses and so on, you actually forget and you have to keep reminding yourself. Um, I mean, writing the book for me was quite a big reminder. That was um what, six, nine months later, that was a huge reminder. I've just recorded it um, for an audio book. So I had to read the whole thing again very recently. And that was an enormous reminder. Oh my goodness, I had forgotten. It's amazing how quickly I think we forget and we have to remind ourselves of what we have learned. One of the things we did remember um, was, as we've said, how good we are when we walk together and that doing a longer walk together is really good for us. It's a time to talk or not talk. It's just good to do it together. And so we've made sure that ever since we came back from the walk, we've had one day a week, which is a sort of date. It's our date day, if you like. It's not date night, it's date day. We're fortunate as retired people that we can take a whole day and go for a long walk. So every Friday, and Friday used to be day off when we were in the parish. So it's still Friday, day off, and we plan to do a longer walk. So most Fridays we do, what would you say, Kim, 10, 12 miles, something like that? Eight, 10, 12 miles, yep. Rarely less than eight. And we take it in turns to plan where we're going to go, and we set off with our picnic lunch, and we go for a long walk, and it's very restorative. And it reminds us of what we did when we walked across France. So it's good in that sense as Mm. well. It's bringing back that sense that we had when we were in France of walking together, talking sometimes or not talking and just doing something which for us is really restorative. But we have to put it in the diary. I think if it's not in the diary, it doesn't happen, whatever it is. And so for us, Fridays has it in the diary. It's, It's the day we walk. And if one of us, either of us, suddenly finds we do actually need to do something else that day, it's very rare, but if it should happen, 
like a golf competition, <laughs> then we ask, <laughs> we ask permission. I think she's looking, looking okay? at you there, Can Kim, we change I think. Our day this week. So this week he's playing golf on Friday in an important competition. We're walking on Saturday. We've changed the day. But he did ask. He did check. <laughs> he didn't just assume. But what, yeah. does that, what does that bring then, Kim? Because as you say, you, you've, you've made this decision. You've got this intentional action that is a regular part of your lives that is recapturing that sort of, the, I suppose, the essence of what you were able to find walking across France. What does that bring when you do that on a Friday? What does that bring on a Monday or a Wednesday or a you know you you know what I'm driving at? Well, it's probably the most fixed point of the week, particularly with lockdown now and regular church and things not being as regular. Probably our Friday is the most regular sort of pivot point of our week, um, and it is not completely sacrosanct, but nearly sacrosanct, and we both agree that. I think it um, it's like pressing a reset button, I suppose, um, on your computer or something on your stopwatch, or it just you know we start a new week and we're starting it on Friday, and this is what happens. I think I think for me, and this is true for most blokes, I think um, you know women can sit down over a cup of coffee, look into each other's eyes, and talk about deep things. Blokes don't tend to do that. Um, you know, when I'm talking to men friends, I've got a friend of mine who recently helped me respray my kitchen, our kitchen cupboards. Um, and while he was doing the spraying and sanding things, we chatted, but there was no eye contact. And doing something together for men is very important. And then you can chat as you want to or not, and about sport or about something serious uh, or not. And that's the delight of walking. If we're walking as we do on a, a Friday for normally three, four hours, um, there's time to slip in and out of conversation. There's no yeah. pressure. I don't do well with pressure. If someone sits me down and eyeballs me and says, you know, we we need to talk about this now, <laughs> um, I just frivol and go into my shell. But if we're talking just as we're walking, then there is no pressure. Uh, I can speed up a bit if I don't want to talk about it. Um and she has to catch up, and she's catching her breath, so she can't say anything. So uh, that works. Particularly if we're going up hills, which I go up much faster than she does. You realise that you are giving away all your secrets here, don't you? You realise you realize that, that next Friday or, or Saturday after the golf, this is going to be, be relevant. I mean, it's been great to talk to you guys today. And the book is called Walking Back to Happiness. And it is, for me, it's a very clear expression of even if you can't walk 320 miles together, there's finding something that is intentional that you can connect the reality of your love for one another in is key to building a strong relationship and a strong marriage and a strong future. So I wonder just in closing, our last couple of minutes together, what your advice would be for others? Because everybody goes through difficult patches. And some of those patches, they linger around for many, many years, as was your experience. And they, they leave marks and scars that linger for many years. What would be your advice for people who are in that place and they want to rebuild, they want to restore, but they can't really see how to go about it? 
And we don't have a magic wand that we can wave. And I think it would be wonderful if we could all have magic wands that we wave and our marriages are restored, but it doesn't work like that. But there are different things that work for different people. I suppose my general advice would be to have more fun, to find something you enjoy doing together, something that is fun. For us, it's walking. We enjoy walking together. And for us, it's great fun. It'll be something else for other people. Sometimes people don't know what to do. And I would say, well, go back to when you were 10 or 11. What did you enjoy doing? What was fun that you really enjoyed doing? Can you do that with your partner? And each think about what gave you fun and enjoyment? What energizes you? Well, do that together and put it in the diary. Because if it's not in the diary, it gets pushed aside and it doesn't happen. So put it in the diary. I know that's very prescriptive and we're not all very prescriptive. And generally speaking, Kim's not. But this is in his diary and it works and we do it. Mm -hmm. So do something that you both enjoy, you can enjoy together, have some fun together and think outside the box to do it. Because when could you do it? When we were in ministry, um, Friday was our day off. And so Friday lunchtime, when the children were at school, was a good time to go out and do something. We couldn't go out in the evenings. Kim would have meetings at church or, you know, we'd got small children, so you can't just suddenly take off without an expensive babysitter, and we couldn't do that. So think outside the box. We could have a Friday lunchtime together, and that was a good time. Uh, maybe to go out for a walk or maybe go to bed. Why not? It's finding time to do things, putting it in your diary, and it happens to have fun together, relax together, do the things that you both enjoy. What did you do when you were dating that gave you fun and you enjoyed? Well, do that again. Intentionality, making a, a, a commitment to it and finding that which you can enjoy together. And what about yourself, Kim? What would you add to that? There's a film we all love, and I can't for the life of me remember its name, but the character is a con man. And uh, he somehow wriggles his way into pretending that he's an airline pilot and then a doctor. And when he's a doctor and a senior consultant, uh, he has two junior doctors who he asks whether one agrees with the other and uh, they don't know. And then he says, well, do you concur? And he doesn't say, I concur. And he realizes later he should have said, I concur. And what I've learned to say, and we've all learned in our family to say, when uh, Penelope says anything is, I concur. And uh, as we all know, that uh, the two most important words that any man ever learns to keep his marriage on the right, on the right track is, yes, dear. <laughs> ah, Humour is obviously an important part of this as well. The book that Kim and Penelope have chronicled their experiences in that Penelope has written is called Walking Back to Happiness. It's published by Sarah Grace Publishing. And I think what it does make clear to me is that all of us need to be aware of the pressures that can come into our relationships all of us need to be aware of the pressures that can come into our marriages all of us need to be aware of how we can actually create the environment of tension and of pressure and of separation and of just not really pulling together as perhaps we did in the past and maybe we can't go and take a hike across France to spend time to do it, but maybe all of us 
with the people that we love, the people that are precious to us, the people that we value, the people that we know we are committed to and we know are committed to us. Maybe all of us need to find ways to be intentional in the time we spend, the fun that we can do together and the solidity of relationship that we can build by actually acknowledging what that person brings to our lives and fasting from recrimination and feasting on forgiveness where necessary and appreciating and valuing that which they do in us. It's a tremendous book, an easy read, and it is a pilgrimage with a difference. Walking Back to Happiness by Penelope Swithenbank, telling her story of her walk with her husband, Kim, across the south of France, is published by Sarah Grace Publishing. You've been listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond. Join me next week for another one. And remember, you can find this one as a podcast wherever you download yours or on the UCB Player app. Good night.